Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Proactive IT Podcast. Each week, we talk about the latest in tech, cyber news, compliance, and more. We also bring you real-world examples. Try to say that five times fast. To learn from so that you can better protect your business and your identity. This is episode one. Today, we're going to talk about Patch Tuesday for October, a lawyer who just doesn't want to listen to reason, some cybersecurity news, and finally, we dive into a HIPAA breach case study that we can learn from. This podcast is brought to you by Nuage Tech, a HIPAA-compliant, client-focused IT consultant located in sunny central Connecticut. You can find us at nuagetech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. And also on social media, it's Nuage Tech, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and probably others. All right, so this is episode one. I'm really excited to get this started. It's uh, no coincidence that I finally decided, decided to launch this during Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So if you do go to our social media pages, you'll see a tip for every day of the month. Um, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll, share, I'll share today's tip. So today's tip is Cybersecurity Awareness. And I, this, this, so there's an awesome program that we're a part of to generate these tips. And then we just share it to social media. So we didn't um, come up with this by ourselves but it's still a great tool to use um, to help your business and yourself to become more cybersecurity aware. So today's tip is perform vulnerability scans and penetration tests. We routinely go into businesses and do vulnerability scans as part of uh, our offering to find out you know, what needs to be fixed before we go ahead and take over monitoring and so forth. Uh, and you would be amazed at what we come up with, you know, old accounts, on the system, updates that haven't been done, uh, just just all kinds of stuff, weak passwords, um, software that needs to be updated as well. Adobe updates, notorious, uh, Google Chrome sometimes, and there have been, in Firefox as well, there have been some, some somewhat major uh, updates in um, vulnerabilities discovered in Chrome and Firefox in recent months. And if you haven't updated it, uh, Firefox usually updates itself unless you block it for some reason. But if you haven't updated it, then you're putting your business at risk. And we're going to, you know, as we go down the road with this podcast, we'll talk about all of those risks, all of those, uh, what you could do to mitigate those risks and so forth. Today's podcast, we are going to talk about um, a few cybersecurity news items we have three today we're going to talk about and these are all recent by the way we're going to talk about uh, a law f law firm a lawyer who just doesn't want to listen when it comes to business continuity and how uh, potentially almost cost them twice uh, any critical patches and then finally our HIPAA case that uh, we dissected not not one of our clients um, but uh, no less uh, something we, we can learn from. Um, so let's start with this. Let's start with Patch Tuesday. Uh, Patch Tuesday, in case you're not in the know, you, I'm sure almost everybody knows Patch Tuesday now, is when Microsoft, Microsoft usually releases their, unless it's something really critical, they'll usually release it on a Tuesday. And for October, not a huge month for October, but there's still some some critical patches that were released. There is uh, an Internet Explorer zero day patch uh, because there was a zero day found in Internet Explorer. Now, that being said, you should not be using Internet Explorer anymore. Uh, Microsoft has replaced it with Microsoft Edge. And then there's Google Chrome, Firefox. You should not be using Internet Explorer anymore so there's your there's another tip for you stop using internet explorer if you're using it now i do know uh, and I, I think the numbers are, are dwindling now but i do know that in some cases something just doesn't work unless it's internet explorer i've dealt with this with businesses before uh hopefully those uh, and, and it's usually like a, a web app or something like that those hopefully by now those have all been fixed so hopefully that's not an issue for you anymore so if you don't need to use it, 
don't use Internet Explorer, get rid of it. Um, the Microsoft patched four memory corruption issues in Microsoft Edge. Uh, there was yet another RDP. So let's talk about RDP for a moment. Uh, we're just going to throw all the tips at you in episode one. RDP is remote desktop protocol. Some businesses will choose to remote into their work computers using remote desktop protocol, which is a Microsoft protocol, um, directly. This is a really, really bad thing to do. You open up the port on your network, you you remote in, and you're, it's almost like you're sitting at that desktop or you know whatever server whatever it might be um this is a bad thing and if you're going to do this you should be doing it over vpn uh, because there are quite a few uh, vulnerabilities um out there right now the biggest ones are are blue keep and deja blue where uh remote desktop is being compromised and uh people are you know the bad guys the hackers i don't like to use the term hackers for bad guys because hackers are not bad guys hackers are just people that want to learn um the black hat hackers these are the bad guys we'll call them unethical hackers uh, but they're utilizing these these vulnerabilities to gain access to business networks and do some damage most of the time ransomware um, so there is a there was um, it doesn't say that there was a patch for that so I don't know if there was actually a patch for that it says it's not as as dangerous as blue keep and deja blue um, but considered wormable meaning uh, it, it, it can uh, move from one to the next there were no um, Adobe updates for this month. If you need Adobe updates, you, know, you open Adobe and Adobe product PDF. You shouldn't be using Flash anymore, but if you're using PDF, uh, Adobe Reader, or um, any other Adobe products, you need to update. Um, there, there was an Android Zero Day found for Samsung, Huawei, and Xiaomi devices. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, that has not been patched, but Google did release a patch for the Google Pixel, which is a Google phone. So that's all your critical patches for the month of October. As always, you should uh, you should test your updates um, on you know one or two computers or servers. You know you should have a test environment for it before you release it to everything. We don't always install right away. We want to make sure that there is not going to be any um, productivity loss because of a patch. And, and we've seen it recently. There's been quite a few problems with Microsoft updates. You should at this point, uh, if you're using Windows 10, and you should be using Windows 10 because Windows 7 end of life comes in January, January 20th, I believe is the date, towards the end of January. And uh, if you're still using Windows 7, you need to get off of it. This uh, Windows 7 WannaCry last year, the big ransomware attack, ransomware attack last year spread through primarily Windows 7 and Server 2008. So if you're not up to date, you're going to you're going to continue to see problems there. If you're not using Windows 8.1 at the least, I would say even get off of that and go to Windows 10. And it should be on um, a newer version of Windows 10. There have been some issues, so make sure you test it first. Okay, that's your critical patch Tuesday notification for the month. Um, this will be a weekly podcast, so I'll talk about those updates again, especially if anything new comes out. Um, all right, so in cybersecurity news, we have a ransomware attack again on a school district, this time in, in California. So the San Bernardino City Unified School District, SBCUSD, has discovered that cyber criminals recently used ransomware to look, lock access to district files. The ransomware attack was launched against SBCUSD's computer servers, and these servers are currently inaccessible. Um, what they got a hold of sounds like it was email and attendance tracking. Uh, does not sound like anything else has been compromised at this point. 
So everything else is status quo, and they didn't lose any school days because of it, but they're tracking attendance on paper. And um, the teachers and, and staff currently don't have a way to email each other. Uh, what you could see is um, if any personally identifiable information, PI, you're going to hear PI and FI quite a bit. Uh, but if any PI was in those emails and it's been compromised, that could lead to some issues, I, you know, potential lawsuits down the road. Um, this happened earlier this week. The 23rd was when, when uh, this was shared, so that would have been Wednesday. Um, this seems to be a growing trend where schools are getting compromised, schools and municipalities. There's been some big, big, big ransomware attacks on schools and municipalities this year. Uh, and we're in in some cases the municipalities paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to restore the danger with that is number one there's no guarantee that they will give you the decryption key and number two uh that makes you a bigger target for future attacks so you better hurry up and make sure you're ready for the next attack if uh you want some case studies you know just research search for baltimore ransomware attack, search for Florida ransomware attacks. There's been quite a few. Uh, we did have a school system here in Connecticut where we are, uh, was compromised. I, I, you know, I don't have it in front of me. I believe it was Wolcott, Connecticut. It was twice within a month. Nothing. Um, I don't think any major damage was done. And I think one of them was before school even started. Uh, but it did happen here in Connecticut, a smaller attack. The Wolcott system is not a big system. Uh, there ha as I mentioned, there have been a few other attacks this year. So there was Flagstaff, Arizona, who lost a few, two school days um, when 15 schools were hit with ransomware. So in Arizona, they don't have snow days typically because it doesn't snow in Arizona. Uh, it does, but only certain parts. Um, you know, in Connecticut, we have snow days all the time. In Arizona, they now have ransomware days. And that's not to say Arizona will be the only system. There, there will likely be other school systems that uh, are compromised with ransomware that have to close for a few days to resolve the issue. So now we're seeing instead of losing school days due to weather, inclement weather, or, or you know, sometimes we have school days because it's too hot or too cold, mm -hmm. things like that, now they're losing school days because of ransomware. Rockville Center, New York School District paid nearly $100,000 to restore its data. Um, and in Scott, Scott County Schools in Kentucky, they lost $3.7 million in a phishing scam. Now, fortunately, they were able to get that back, uh, but that's a, that's a scary number, $3.7 million. Um, so let's, uh, let's make sure that these school systems are set up properly to mitigate ransomware. And when I say mitigate, I don't mean prevent it. There is no foolproof way, no 100% way to prevent a phishing attack or a ransomware attack. But what there are is ways to reduce the risk significantly and be able to recover from it quickly and not have to pay the ransom. Uh, and then of course you should have cyber liability insurance, which is which is a new, new area for a lot of businesses. So, um, for insurance companies, as a matter of fact, so you can expect to see a lot to come from that. The second bit of news this week, SonicWall has um, come out with uh, some numbers here, 7.2 billion malware attacks so far in the first nine months of 2019, and 151.9 million ransomware attacks. Um, so that means there is a malware attack for every human on this planet. That's uh, that's a, a lot of malware, and that number is down, by the way. So they report that this, that it's down. Malware attacks are down 15% year over year, and ransomware attacks down 5% points. Um, ransomware. The problem with ransomware is it doesn't always get reported, um, and I would I would venture because of the negative publicity that comes along with a ransomware attack, I would venture to bet that. It's actually up. What I can tell you for sure is the dollar, the ransom requests, significantly higher. You know, a few years ago, people, these, the attackers were asking for $200 or $500. Now they're asking for millions in some cases. Um, nobody has paid millions yet, but 
uh, they have paid hundreds of thousands. There's some a Florida municipality that paid, uh, I think, 460000 I think there was another one that may have paid 600000 So that's that's a lot of money. And if they don't have cyber liability insurance, they paid out of pocket. Um, SonicWall reported a 32% year-over-year decline in phishing attacks. Uh, again, I don't think that that is an accurate number only because you know the software that's out there to mitigate phishing may be filtering a lot of it and the education people are being educated on phishing now so businesses employees everybody is are being educated on how to recognize a phishing email and what to do with it <clears throat> it does indicate that most phishing attacks target c level executives hr and it leaders so um, if you're a VP or a president, CEO, a CFO, you know, HR manager, something like that, IT, you're in IT, you are a target. Um, I do get phishing emails all the time. Of course, I'm not opening them. I'm not doing anything with them. And that's the key. If you, if it's unsolicited, don't click it. I think I just came up with a, with a new Instagram post. Um, I do plan on starting, so since I mentioned it, I do plan on starting a new campaign. Um, it's going to be called um, Think Before You Click. So look for that. You'll see if you go to our Instagram page, you'll see a, an image for that. What they did say has increased is encrypted malware, which to me sounds like ransomware, but um, apparently they consider that to be separate, Fifth, up 58%. Web applications attacks up 37%. So this means we're attacking websites, applications, smartphone apps, um, things like that. I think the increase there is due to, um, so there are websites, there are programs out there, HackerOne is one of the bigger ones, where they will pay people to intentionally try to compromise, find vulnerabilities in web applications. So you'll get a business like Microsoft or Google do this all the time. They'll pay bug bounties, it's called. They'll pay a bounty for you to find vulnerabilities and report it to them. So what I think you're seeing, this is called blue hat hacking. And what I think you're seeing is an increase in people. There are tons of ways to learn how to do this. HackerOne has training for it. Uh, you can find them on YouTube. You can find them on Udemy. You can buy books on Amazon. You can find them anywhere, really. Other platforms that train how to do this type of hacking. Um, so what I think you're seeing is an increase in not so ethical guys going out there to just hack for the sake of hacking and maybe maybe um you know maybe try to make some some money off of doing it the ethical way off of the bug bounty sites and then finally internet of things malware up 33 percent. so internet of things these are things iot these are things like your smart home you know the thermostats the uh refrigerators the tvs um the um voice enabled stuff like uh, Alexa and Google um, the, the problem with these is they're, they're usually they're usually a, a little more vulnerable than than computers and servers networks because we've been patching and and securing computers and servers for years where these are relatively new um, you know, and there's more things coming out every day. So Amazon has smart microwave, smart, they call it a smart oven, but it's more like a microwave, uh, things like that. So you're, you can look for an increase, a continued increase in those things. Baby monitors, we've seen baby monitors have been compromised before, security cameras compromised all the time. So these things are um, a little less secure, to say, than computers and servers traditionally. And then uh, our last bit of news, FBI warns companies of multi-factor authentication security weaknesses. Now, this has been around for a little while, and if you've been paying attention, uh, you, you know that this is a problem. The problem is if you get your multi-factor authentication. So let me tell you what that is first. Multi-factor authentication simply means uh, after you enter your password into an application or a website, you get uh, a, usually it's a time-based token, so you'll get a code to put in or you won't be able to log in. And today, most people are using soft tokens, and what that means is it's a phone app. So Authy, Google, Microsoft, and some others are out there. 
where you you try to log in, you go to that app, you get your six-digit code, you put that in, and uh, everything is hunky-dory. Um, Multi-factor authentication, now what that means is I take my smartphone, I have to use my thumb to log into my phone, then I use um, an, the app to get the code, and this is after I've already put in my, my secure password, by the way. So you still need secure passwords, Password security is still important. Secure password simply means as long as possible with uppercase, lowercase, special characters and numbers. Um, passphrases are becoming a common thing. The longer the passphrase, the better because it takes it longer to um, to brute force. Uh, software required to do that will require a lot of CPU usage and memory utilization. And if you're not, um, you know, if you're using a, a six six character password with all lowercase it takes minutes to brute force that whereas you know 20 characters with mixed lower upper numbers and and special characters takes i don't know the numbers but many 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 years probably thousands of years okay um but there is one type of multi-factor authentication that sends sms text messages to you so this twitter is one that uses this um, and Jack Dorsey, if you, you may know, his account was compromised this way um, earlier this year. And Jack Dorsey is the president of, of uh, I don't know his official title, but he runs Twitter. And um, so they, they, it's called SIM jacking, SIM swapping, where they, if you're using an older SIM card, they can clone it and then basically bring up a phone with your phone number and now they're getting your text messages and if they get your sms text message from twitter when you try to log in now they're able to log in if they have your password and that uh so there are some you know some sites that still use text messaging and hopefully they get away from this it's still more secure than not using it okay but it's not, it, it is a, uh, a known vulnerability right now. So it's something you need to be aware of. If you can use multi-factor authentication without using SMS text messaging, then you should not be using that. You should be using, you know, the time-based tokens, biometrics, wherever you can. So Facebook, I have to approve the login. Even our remote management software um, that we use before any remote sessions to a client computer can occur i have to approve it with my thumbprint uh so i thumbprint accept thumbprint again and so this way i know who's going on to the computers to do what um there'll be a corresponding ticket there were a few compromises earlier this year as well where uh the remote software support of msps like mine were compromised uh mine was not compromised by the way um but some other msps were compromised and what ended up happening is they, they, the hackers, the bad guys, the unethical hackers, went in through the remote support software and installed ransomware on their client computers. There was one MSP, and I don't remember the name that was, um, I don't even think the name was released, but it, they were, um, they were, a lot of their clients were impacted. And so you can imagine the damage to the reputation and, um, you know, loss of business and so forth. Multi-factor authentication is important to use anywhere you can. So any multi-factor authentication is better than none. But if you can avoid SMS somehow, then I would recommend you do that. So that's it for the cybersecurity news. Uh, what else we got for you today? A law firm compliance. So um, I, I have a... I wouldn't really call him a client, but he calls me when he gets into trouble. And earlier this year was the first time he called me during uh, a storm here in Connecticut. His computer literally blew up. He called me and said my computer blew up. I didn't take him for, uh, for, for uh, face value on that. And in fact, it did blow up. It did blow up. I went to go pick it up. Still smelled of, uh, still was... You can still smell the burning smell. Um, and unfortunately, his hard drive was damaged, and he did not have a backup. Um, big no-no in legal world. 
because you do have compliance here in Connecticut. You have to maintain your client files for seven years after a case closes. So if you have active cases, you know, you might be looking at 10, 12 years that you need to maintain these, these files. Uh, you don't have a backup and that drive goes missing. What if it was stolen? This is a desktop computer could easily be stolen. And it was an older desktop, by the way, it could easily be stolen. And then you have nothing and you could be fined. You can be, um, disbarred. There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of sanctions for lawyers when it comes to client data. Um, I couldn't repair it. I, couldn't uh, get the data off of the hard drive. The hard drive was physically damaged. I don't have a clean room to use to, to retrieve that data. It had to be shipped out, and I don't know the exact cost, but it, I know he, I do know he spent over $2,500 to restore that data, to recover that data, I should say. So then he, um, he, you know, he went out on his own and bought a computer. Uh, I w offered to set him up the way a law firm should be set up, this is a one-man law firm, by the way. Offered to set him up the way he should be set up. And, uh, you know, didn't exactly do what I suggested. So he went and um, got a computer and set up the things the way he, the cheap way. I'll call it the cheap way. That's essentially what it was, the cheap way. So I apologize for the phone. You can imagine that uh, sometimes we get phone calls. Um, and for some reason, nobody's answering. Anyway, so moving on, we fast forward, I don't know, it's probably been nine months, and he was storing files in Dropbox. And Dropbox, I, you know, I don't know, I, I would never recommend somebody use Dropbox for a secure method of storing documents. Um, there are better ways to do it. Obviously, uh, it's better than nothing i suppose but it's not not the best way to handle things for secure for compliance i would imagine i i don't know if if dropbox is considered to be compliant i'd have to look at that uh and what happened was accidental deletion of files um fortunately dropbox does have a way to restore those files and it's actually pretty easy so he was able to recover, but now this is two near data losses in a nine-month period for a lawyer. Not a good look. Um, you need to have some type of redundancy, some type of business continuity, disaster recovery in place. It's not that expensive anymore. It, it should should you should never be in a position where it's oh crap, I think I lost everything. I'm in trouble. That should never happen. And uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping I I point blank told him you need redundancy and i'm hoping he finally learned his lesson and uh we can move forward with that so if you're a law firm or, or any business that deals with compliance you know healthcare, uh financial even if you're a one-man show you need to have business continuity disaster disaster recovery it's it's not expensive anymore it's very affordable and uh there are scenario there are uh business continuity tools where if your main computer, your main server goes down, you could be back up and running within minutes. Uh, and we, we partner with one of those companies. So, and it's not that expensive. Um, what else do we got for you today? So I think the only thing left on our agenda for today is our HIPAA case. So we, um, you may or may not know there is a HIPAA wall of shame. And on that wall of shame are HIPAA breaches. And the purpose of that wall of shame is to notify potential victims. The victims, of course, are the patients of that healthcare practice. You know, was their stuff compromised? And if it was, uh, what was compromised? Do, they, they need to be made aware. And if there's any restitution, then, you know, of course, they're, they are... Um, they are um, entitled to it. So we took the most recent, and I'm going to do this often now, uh, where we share something from the HIPAA wall of shame. And the purpose is not to, and I won't even name the, the practice. Um, I will just tell you that it's in Ohio. Um, and the purpose is not to shame the practice. The purpose is to learn from it. I don't want 
any medical practice, any healthcare practice, and this includes things like dentists, chiropractors, because dentists and chiropractors, and I'll give you an example in a moment, uh, they, they, you know, some of them don't believe they are, they need to be HIPAA compliant, and that's totally inaccurate. Uh, you have healthcare information, FI, and if you have that information, you need to be HIPAA compliant. Um, so in this case, an Ohio healthcare practice um, was compromised through email. The type of breach states that it was unauthorized access or disclosure. So kind of vague. I looked to try to get more information on this breach, and I couldn't find it. Couldn't find any more information on it. But if I saw this information, saw that it was a breach through email, and saw that uh, you know the information that's available on the, on the OCR site, I would be led to believe that their email was compromised by um, either an employee who wasn't supposed to compromise it, access it, or uh, an ex-employee who still maintained access to it. Um, if you read further, it does say that the business associate, a business associate, was on site. Um, so that would lead to believe me that a business associate, meaning a vendor, you know, an IT consultant, or uh, you know, it could be, a, um, you know, it could be anything really, a credit card vendor, credit card, um, you know, card reader vendor. Um, it could be the heating and cooling vendor. It could be anybody somehow gained access to the email, and then because of that gained access to the five personally or, or personal health information. Um, I'm sorry, patient health information in that email. So how can that happen? Well, um, or how can we prevent that? Let's try that. First of all, you need to use the privilege, uh, the, the theory of privilege of, I'm sorry, principle of least privilege, right? And, uh, I, we see this a lot where we go in and we find, you know, the the um, law student has access to everything or the receptionist at the front desk has access to everything or, or even the business associates have access to things they shouldn't have access to. The guy installing smart thermostats has access uh, because, it, you know, it's got to connect to the Wi-Fi and then the Wi-Fi connects and, and it's just – so there's there's a lot of ways that can happen. Um, so you need to, to create something, you need to set it up with the principle of least privilege, meaning if I'm a law student, I should not have access to client files. If I'm a receptionist, I shouldn't have access to all the client files. You know, the only thing I should be able to see is the scheduling, um, software and, and what time patient X is supposed to be here. You should not have access to everything. Um, you should be able to give them access to just what they need is and and that's it what they need to do their job and that's it so in the case of the front desk receptionist you know if they're not a nurse and they're not uh you know filling in momentarily whatever the case may be then you need to use they need just access to the scheduling software and that's it most likely so that we know who's supposed to be here and when um while I haven't been able to get more access to more details from that breach, I can tell you that the two most common email breaches for for healthcare and really any business, I suppose, uh, two ways emails can lead to HIPAA breach. These are the two most common ways. First of all, you should not have FI in your email. That should never happen. But you should be using um, an email provider that will sign off on a um, business associate agreement, a BAA. So this is an agreement that any healthcare business should have with vendors to say that you you will protect the data. So what happens is if you don't have that agreement, then you are solely responsible. But if you do have that agreement, then the business associate, in this case the email provider, is, is not off the hook either. They are also responsible. Um, and so the OCR can, can find them as well. And so what I've discovered is we work with dentists, and I see, and I work with, we work with all healthcare, but I work with a lot of dentists, and I and I see it all the time, and I've seen this on healthcare sites too, 
you know, uh, general physicians and everything, really. They're using email, you know, uh, drsmith at Gmail or AOL. I just saw a website for a dentist built on Dreamweaver, which is has been a dead technology for a long time now. Uh, and they were still using an AOL email address. Um, this is really bad, really bad. Uh, first of all, it doesn't look professional. We'll start with that. But secondly, AOL is not going to sign a BAA for a free email account. That's not going to happen. So you are could potentially, if you are emailing someone client information, patient information in your email, your AOL account, you are exposing that patient information um, and you are potentially putting your practice at risk. Now, if they're built on Dreamweaver and they're using AOL, chances are they've been in business for quite some time. Time to update. If you're using Yahoo, if you're using a free ISP account, so I saw a dentist using an SNET account, which SNET, Southern New England Telephone, has been gone for a long time. It's been bought time and time again. It's now Frontier. Um, but they, I believe they still maintain the SNET email servers. Um, it's not secure. It's not secure, and they're not going to sign a BAA. A BAA is required from the email provider to be HIPAA compliant. You are not HIPAA compliant if you don't have that BAA in place. And this is with all of your vendors. So the HVAC guy, the uh, the IT consultants, the uh, just anybody that does anything in your business needs a BAA. The email provider, the website hosting. Um, if you if if your clients are logging into your website, which they shouldn't be, you should have a third party software for that, an electronic record record system um, in place for that. Um, anybody that does anything that could potentially gain access to file, even if you remote, if if there's some remote off chance that they could, you should have a business associate agreement in place with them to protect you. Uh, so if you have Joe Schmo coming in to fix a desktop computer because, um, you, you know, I went into a dentist. This is a while back now. We're probably talking close to 10 years ago now. Went in with one of my employees to a dentist practice in Manhattan. And every computer in there, some of them were on the wrong service pack. They had uh, no updates Some in some cases for years. And we're talking 10 computers. They had... They were using Wi-Fi to connect their internal office, their all their computers, their patient stuff, and everything. And that same Wi-Fi was an open network in Manhattan to, that anybody could connect to. And they chose—I can't even remember the name of the dentist now. I'm hoping they're not not in business anymore. But they chose not to do all, not to fix all of these things. Um, you know, we got called in to fix one thing. We fixed the one thing. We told them about our findings. They said, uh, thanks, we'll call you, and they never called. Um, and I don't think they ever paid me either, by the way. Um, you know, back then, 10 years ago, we were more of a break-fix client. We, we mostly uh, manage services now. We don't do a lot of break-fix anymore. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I would have, t if, if they would have came, came to me as a, a managed services client, I would have turned away would have turned and looked the other way because they're not compliant at all. So we're exposing, we're potentially exposing patient information to everybody on the street in Manhattan. Bad look. Um, if you are in any business that requires compliance, law, legal, financial, healthcare, then you need to use encrypted email. Um, Microsoft Office 365, G Suite, which is Google's paid email service, these are encrypted email. Uh, I know Microsoft will sign a BAA. I believe Google will if you're using G Suite. I'm not 100% sure on that. I have to double check. Uh, I usually steer the healthcare, uh, anybody who has compliance towards Office 365. Um, the second possibility for, for breach here. So the first one was they were, they were there was FI in their email and the email is not an email that will sign off on business associate agreement, and it's not encrypted, and which makes it easier to hack usually too. The second, and if, if by the way, if your email's been compromised, 
there's a good chance that you don't even know it and that this person who compromised it is just sitting in your email every day, going through your emails, looking to see what they could find, you know, what other information are they able to find. And so if you're not paying attention to who's accessing your email and you don't have multi-factor authentication that we just talked about earlier, then there's a good chance somebody's sitting in your email and you're not even aware of it. And if you're not changing your passwords routinely. And so the second possibility, most likely possibility in most cases, an employee received the phishing email and clicked the link. That link probably led to the installation of ransomware and compromised their practice. So um, phishing attacks occur for various reasons. They can include identity theft, financial theft, taking control of computers for other nefarious attacks like uh, distributed denial of service. Um, Ransomware, ransomware attacks are most most often begin with a phishing attack. I think the number they, that I saw was 90% of all ransomware attacks began with phishing. This number is preventable. You know, it's still going to continue, but with the proper training and proper mitigation, that number can be significantly reduced, 90%. Two core components to preventing a successful phishing attack. The first one is proactive email monitoring tool that alerts to potential phishing attempts, allows you to report them to IT, and allows IT to approve or reject them based on their findings. Okay, so if you you get a, an email, and in, in the case we use, in our case we use Iron Scales. Um, Iron Scales will put a big red banner across the email saying that they did not recognize the sender or, or there are a few different things that might say. It might say that the sender doesn't look like the person who really sent it and things like that. Um, then you can report it. My clients can report it to us. We look at it and we determine if it's legit or not. Um, this has been, um, been really useful. The only complaint I've had is for those businesses that print email, they don't like that banner, but um, realistically, you shouldn't be printing email. I get there are some cases where you need to, but um, that that really should stop. Um, and then it also will filter out emails that it really suspects as being phishing. And then the other nice thing is um, with Iron Scales is I can I can test them so I can s simulate a phishing attack to see how they do. And if they don't do well, then there's more training. So that's the second piece, the training. We train employees of businesses in all the way up to C-levels, the guy running the business, the, the woman running the business. We will train you on how to recognize phishing emails. Fishers have gotten more savvy. So it used to be really easy because the grammar would be horrible, the spelling would be horrible, and people, and, but people would still fall for it. You know, um, We educate your business on how to recognize phishing email, with the hopes that going forward, you don't fall for that anymore. I believe in any cyber security, uh, any cyber security incident, training is the most important, education is the most important, prevention. Uh, it goes, you know, social engineering, how do you recognize when you're being socially engineered? And, and people get, that's a whole nother topic, but they get engineered every day. Every day you're getting engineered. Uh, and not always for bad thing is sometimes it's just sales sales is social engineering um, so education is the most important aspect of any successful cybersecurity program your people are the weakest link they are the weakest link if you don't you don't prepare them for the inevitable then you are preparing yourself for at the very least financial loss um the number is i believe 60 percent of all businesses that suffer data breach go out of business within six months nobody goes into business to go out of business that is not not the goal for any business so what is the potential cost here so this particular practice um the breach involved 612 records. Now, this is a small breach. There are breaches this year where the records were in the millions. Um, so this would be considered a, a relatively small breach in comparison to some of these other breaches we've heard about this year. The average cost of a HIPAA breach in 2019 is $408. So that means 
potential fines, uh, recovery costs, um, mitigation going forward, and so forth. Average cost per record is $408. That means that this practice, 612 records, would potentially be on the hook for $250,000, a quarter million dollars. Uh, don't know if they've been fined yet. I don't know what the result of this compromise was. Um, sounds like a business associate agreement would have um, at least offset some of it. So to keep that in mind. So to put this in another way, uh, based on what I can tell about the size of the practice, it would have cost them approximately $3,500 a month to have 24-7 healthcare IT consulting from a HIPAA-compliant business associate with an agreement, which would have included required HIPAA and security audits. You are required to have a HIPAA and security audit at least once a year. Um, we do that right from, from the start. We go in, we do the HIPAA audit, we do the security audit, and we will continually do security audits um, throughout the year. Um so we know right right from the start what, what we need to work on. And then if there are things to work on, which in most cases there is, we will work on that throughout the year and um, do uh, smaller audits to make sure that those things that are being taken care of are taken care of and that um, they don't continue to happen and nothing new comes up. So $3,500 a month it would have cost them to have this IT consulting firm in place with all the requirements and all the bells and whistles. They could have paid this IT support for six years before spending a quarter million dollars. So that means for six years, you have everything you need to um, make sure your business, your, your practice is HIPAA compliant, everything you need in place, your technology runs like it's supposed to, or it's, it's, it's uh, updated as it needs to be updated and secured and just everything six years of this before you would have spent that same quarter million dollars now that you've been compromised you're going to have to spend that money anyway maybe you were already and they just didn't have an agreement i don't know uh but you're out a quarter million dollars because of a piece of paper maybe a document that says hey we, we uh you are also on the hook for any hipaa compromises hipaa breaches so what's the lesson here the lesson is you know, we have businesses of all sizes and types that try to save money where they can. And, and I understand that. I get that. We try to save money, too. You know, I, I, uh, I am, there are some places where you cut corners. Um, you know, maybe this month we, we, instead of keeping the thermostat at 69, we keep it at 68. Now that it's starting to get colder out, right? Um, just ways to cut corners. Uh, cut corners is not a good word. Ways to save money in your business. Um one, the, one of those ways is not to make sure you're not to use one of those ways to save money is not to use underqualified let me rephrase that using underqualified IT support hiring the guy down the street because he only charges $25 an hour um, that's not a way to save money you, you're going to end up costing your practice more money in the long run because they don't know what they need to do to be HIPAA compliant. They don't have the proper paperwork in place. They don't have the proper sa the proper software in place. They don't have the proper training in place. They don't know what to look for to make sure they're not violating any HIPAA, HIPAA uh, regulations. Um, so don't skimp on areas where you need to skimp. Make sure you have that business associate agreement in place for every vendor. Um, but when it comes to email, email specifically, email can be complicated, but with the right support team, it doesn't have to be. Again, having a qualified IT vendor to support your practice is important. And, an, and a qualified IT vendor is going to offer you Office 365 or um, possibly G Suite. Um, and, that, and again, because they'll sign off on a BAA. Uh, and again, because they offer, they, they have the encryption, right? So email should be encrypted. Files should not be stored in email. You should never store a file in email. Uh, you should be using electronic records. And if you are, then there's no need to, to put patient information in email. A business associate agreement is required from the email provider. Again, this would usually be Microsoft or Google, Google G Suite, not Gmail. 
free email accounts should never be used in healthcare. So avoid the AOLs, the Yahoo's, the Gmail's, uh, Hotmail's, Outlook.com. Uh, I know that some of those are Microsoft, but those are not meant to be used for encryption. They're not meant to, and they will not sign a BAA with those emails. Um, free ISP accounts such as Comcast, uh, Charter, um, Frontier, SNET, AT&T should not be used. Uh, phishing mitigation and education should be a core part of your cybersecurity plan. By the way, yearly training for phishing, not enough. You need ongoing training and simulation. This, this way we know where the weak link is, and that's not meant to be an insult. It's meant to be realistic. There's somebody is not prepared for a phishing attack. It's inevitable. Somebody, you hired a new receptionist, a new nurse, uh, a new therapist, something, and they're not prepared for a phishing attack. Access to FI should only be given to those who need it to perform their job. So the front desk receptionist should not have access to FI. They should have access to the calendar that says, Joe Smith should be here right now for his appointment. Maybe billing. That's it. Uh, and, and then again, billing. I, this happens, and I just talked to a group two days ago. This happens all the time. You go into the doctor's office. They hand you a clipboard with some paperwork to fill out. You f and you fill it out in their reception area, and you hand the clipboard back. Now all your information is on, on that piece of paper. Now, they're probably taking that information and entering it into to their electronic record system, but there's still a piece of paper with their information. That should not happen. Should not happen. Um, so that's it. So I, I do plan on doing more of these studies as, as the cases become available. We'll record and bring, bring this to you every week. Um, I only intended to share one tip. We shared quite a few tips today, so I hope you find that useful. Cybersecurity Awareness Month is winding down. There's only six days left in the month. But if you want some great tips, go to go to any of our social media. It's all, you know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. I know I'm forgetting something, but uh, you know what? Here, uh, it's all Nawaj Tech. It's N W A J Tech. And if you want to come to our website, it's nawajtech.com. Uh, this will be uploaded to our website and eventually iTunes, Google Play, and all the other places where these podcasts can be stored. This is episode one, so you know I'm still doing the groundwork here. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found value in it, and uh, I hope to to see you guys again. Thank you.